0: first there was the dc comics news podcast then came the Spinner rack and now the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff i just mentioned i am the knight a story about the stories a show celebrating batman the animated series week by week episode by episode just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night.
1: This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Garth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to TKOpresents.com, Slash discount slash motion 20 and use the code motion 20 at checkout. You'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for comics and motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion 20 and use the promo code motion 20. Happy reading. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Comics Spotlight. This week, We're going to try something new. You're about to listen to the first half of an interview that myself and Seth Singleton did with Justin Greenwood. So listen to this, enjoy it, have a great time with Indie Comics Spotlight, and then when it's over, we'll give you the information of where you can go to find the second half of the interview. Have a good time. All right, well, my guest today, I have two guests on Indie Comics Spotlight. I have a returning voice, someone who is here back on the um, Something is Killing the Children episode, friend and fellow writer, Seth Singleton. Seth, hello, sir.
2: Hey, Tony, it's great to be on, really excited for today.
1: I am too, and at Seth, because Seth is magic, everybody who knows Seth knows this, (laughs) he got an amazing guest for us to share in this joint venture show, uh, artist extraordinaire, Justin Greenwood. Justin, thank you for joining us on Indie Comics Spotlight. Thanks for having me, nice to see you guys. Oh, man, this is awesome. Yeah, and we get to see each other so that everybody else can't see. But we're looking at Justin's <laughs> art studio, which looks amazing. Um, behind him, we see his drawings. Plus, it looks like he's got his own comic nerd collection um, of books. I do. Yeah. yeah
3: there's a lot of uh, – the cool thing about going to shows and, and catching up with folks is getting to kind of trade art. And uh, a lot of that stuff on the walls either – some of it is like variant covers that uh, friends of m- friends of mine did, and we traded for stuff, or uh, or just interiors we traded at one meeting or another. Yeah, it's inspirational for me. I mean, these everybody in that wall is so good. Well, I'm
1: sure they're saying the same thing. They're looking at your art on their wall. They're like, Man, is it so good. So, well, listen. The first time anybody comes to my show, and Seth already did this, so um, I will ask you uh, to tell everybody your comic book origin story. So, because you are a creator, you have two, right? You have the the first time you bought a comic story, and then how that translated into, um, you know, getting your gig, because you've done, I mean, you've been at Oni Press, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about Stumptown, because I love Stumptown, so we're gonna talk about that, but you've done Dark Horse, you've done um, Image, you know, you are an indie comic, if it's an indie comic, you've probably been there. So um, I'd like to hear just a little bit about that process too, but mostly like you as a comic book fan and how that translated into a comic book creator.
3: Yeah. I made a, it's funny when you've done something long enough, you, it, it is hard to remember like how it really started. But I know when I was really little, um, my dad was really into magazines and I feel like, um, I don't know. There's not really many magazine shops anymore in the same way. There's not as many bookstores. I mean, they're out there, but um, we used to go, my dad used to take me, he was really into magazines. Like it was in our house. There was always, always he was, a, he was a painter, like an auto painter and artist. And so he would just keep track of tons of stuff and they would be, Everything from like Lowrider magazine to drag racing to custom paint, all these magazines around the house. And uh, he was enthusiastic about it. And so when he would go, we would just kind of go check out the comics. I mean, like the magazines themselves were not that interesting, but I love comics. And uh, there used to be a great shop in Hayward on B Street. I mean, uh, Seth, you're from – Seth, where are you from? Are you from the East Bay?
2: I'm from the – Far East Bay. I grew up. I when I moved out from New York, we lived in Fremont for a year and a half, and then I spent most of my life in Tracy, California, which is actually the Valley. Uh Although sometimes they try and call it the Far Far East Bay, and I'm like, no, guys, we were the sticks. We were on the other side of the Altamont. (laughs) We're in the middle of the dry. And there was all kinds of like you know, jokes about people from Tracy. Like yeah. It was one well, of those things you just had there.
3: <laughs> no, that's true. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, so many people moved out there that it did kind of become accepted because so many people you would know from the, from the Bay ended up living out there too.
2: Yeah, and um, then I was trying to break out. But that was uh, that process where suddenly I'm like, really? Now you guys show up when I'm trying yeah, to get out cool. here? Because you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm just going to go to
3: and be uncool. And you guys go to the cool spot. I used to live. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. <laughs> well, Hay- Hayward is in the East Bay, used to have a great magazine shop on B Street that was pretty well known in that area. I just remember spending so much time in front of these racks, like looking at comics. And, and I, you know, in that age, you don't know, you don't know what delivery schedule, when comics are going to show up or any of that stuff. So you're just kind of like hoping it'll be new stuff. Never know what it's going to be. And like, I just loved it. I, lo- I loved I love to draw already. And so when I, got in, when I started to read comics, I thought, man, this is like the coolest. I love stories. I love storytelling. Like, it's such a great blend of these things I'm passionate about. And um, I had a, a brother who lived in Arizona at the time, and he would come um, over the summer, and he would bring, like, his, his stash of comics. And I'd go over his, and he had, you know, Kitty Pryde and Wolverine. The one I remember so clearly is, like, he had Wolverine number one at that time was, like, uh, the Andy Cooper. it yeah, and was, was a hot book, right? Like, now it's collectible, but it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Frank, the Frank Miller uh, Claremont one.
0: Oh, oh,
1: okay. Wow. Man. Yeah, All yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And not like, old, not Eddie like the Cooper. origin. We don't need that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm old, so for one thing, that's a factor for sure. But he, not like the original, <laughs> even the origin, but the you know the original miniseries that, in my mind, was like what kicked it off for me. And then yeah, it, it's probably what got me so into like Marvel comics. I was really into Marvel comics as a kid, and so as I, you know, I, at that when you're young, you just buy everything, right? Like I had every terrible you know i don't know toy toy knockoff comic like it had sectars And i was a kid it was like real big and gi joe and transformers and yeah. all this good kind of stuff but uh it was marvel that got me really into it and I, I i loved marvel comics and when i started drawing trying to draw my own comics i remember thinking like and someday i want to draw like marvel comics that's my goal was to draw like a wolverine comic this was the first one that really got me that into it i just I had that strong feeling and then uh you know, many years later, I used to go to WonderCon in Oakland. This is when it was in Oakland, before San Francisco. And I was, that was like early 90s. And um, Image launched that that year. And it was the first time I, I started to understand that like, oh, you know, there's comics that you can just make up on your own. You don't have to work on some, somebody else's thing. And I think at that point, my goal changed. It went from being like, oh, I want to I wanna draw Wolverine to saying like, man, I want to draw like for image comics and make my own thing. And I just, I love their spirit and attitude. And it was, um, it was hard not to get swept up on, especially at my age. At that point, I was probably, I don't know, 14 or 15. It just felt like such a new, fresh thing. And I want, I I just remember thinking like, I want to do that. They were in Berkeley too. I mean, they were local at that point, you know? So, yeah. And then from the other side of it, like in terms of being an artist and, and I guess dovetailing that same conversation, I always thought it'd be cool to draw, but, uh, it's a hard thing to commit to, I think, because nobody, nobody ever tells you like being an artist is an easy thing. And I think um, that's fair because I think most artists will tell you that right now themselves. But when you have that bug and you do love it, you can't really, it's, you can, you can put it away maybe for a little while, but it's going to eat at you. I remember when I was in my teens, I thought like, oh, well, maybe I'll get a responsible job. I'll do graphic design. I'll do art, but I'll get a job where I can have a living and, and be, be a young, responsible guy in it just bugged me that I just didn't feel like I was fully embracing the thing I love the most. And I felt like, you know what, I'm going to get serious. Uh, I'm going to go to art school and and really invest in myself and really focus. And I'm going to go for comics and I'm going to do the thing I want to do at the very top. And if it doesn't work out in comics, then I'll I'll move on to some other illustration where I get to draw still and kind of work my way through until I find my fit. And um, I kind of gave myself a target of a few years to, Get understand the understand the industry. Put myself together a portfolio that was professional looking, and then and then really make a run at it. And right at the tail end of that goal, I got my. I was able to get my first work. So I, I got real. I guess I got lucky in the timing because another year I might have been. I might have just given it up altogether. I mean, Who knows? It's such a tough thing. Uh, the experience of taking your portfolio and showing it around. I mean, maybe it's different now, but then it was. It felt very intense.
1: Yeah, well, I imagine. I mean, because right, you literally were carrying it around. It wasn't like you said. I mean, I was. I'm a little older than you then. So during the image revolution, I was just getting out of high school. And um, I remember that going to the Chicago, I'm from Michigan and the, I'd go to the Chicago con and you'd see those, mm-hmm. you know, the image guys would be intense and you'd be lined. People would be lined up around the corner to get to meet them and everything. So you, you know, and it was um, yeah. And you'd see people there with their port, like literally carrying their things, hoping yeah. just like maybe Todd will talk to me for five minutes. And he's not, he's,
3: it's he's, a little he's crazy. Yeah. I'm to like, <laughs> think about it now. Like I didn't have a computer. I mean, I'm probably, yeah. It, crazy i think I, I got out of college and like, i guess i need a computer which is again like just such terrible planning really in retrospect but <laughs> i wait i was like i waited to finish school i had to go to school to do homework sometimes i didn't have like a real legit computer but anyways i i feel like now you know you can get online and put your portfolio you can talk to people but in in the 90s in like early 2000s you you did you carried a big portfolio of original art from table from table to table booth to booth and you'd open it up and say here's what I'm doing. Is this something you might be interested in? And I mean, it's, if art school wasn't a rigorous enough, um, lesson in, um, just being, I don't know, um, stubborn enough to keep working in comics. Like that experience is a very similar thing. So you go to art school and you, you take critiques and you take a beating and then you, you're like, okay, I think I got it. And then you take that portfolio around later and you're thinking, I want to be a professional and you're showing it to everybody. Sometimes you don't even know what you're doing. Like, I mean, really, I, I don't know how. I don't know at what point I learned the editors are the ones who give jobs. Like I think I was just was showing it to any right I wanted. I just want feedback. You know. Right. I want to be better, and uh, I mean, it's just like there's so much rejection involved. I mean, even when people are, are totally nice, um, it still feels like rejection. But what you, what you want to do is is that thing that you set out to do from the get go. You know.
1: Yeah. No. For sure. Right and uh, Seth and I each have we did a novel swap. We both have novels that we're querying. so it's oh yes, <laughs> you know, your email box every day. you know, like we liked each other's, so that's good. Um, and then, you know, but you're sending it out there every day, like, Hey, Seth like this. You don't know Seth, but he likes it. You should check this out. So, um, you know, yeah, (laughs) that's
3: real. And that, and and honestly, any encouragement you get at that state at that point feels massive because if somebody who you respect tells you, I think you're on the right track. It's enough to drive you for a long time. Sometimes. I mean, like, I, I still remember every kind thing somebody said at that age, because man, it's the thing that made me feel like, all right, I can do this. I'll just... I'll just tweak this or I'll, I'll work on that. And then I'll, I'll make another run. You know, um, it's, it's such a formative time and I am sure every young person in a creative endeavor has some version of that, but, um, it's also just kind of, I don't know. It's scary too. You know, I, I'm not, I, I think artists also are not the most outgoing people to begin with. So taking that around and being like, take a look at this thing. It's really important to me and tell me what you think about it is a very like intense dialogue to have with a person you don't know. Right uh i mean it gives you thick skin and makes you feel like all right i mean some people are not gonna have time for you some people are gonna be really kind and and, you know it's a process but anyhow
2: it pretty much reminds me of just about every time i ever tried to ask out a girl who i knew was way above my level
3: and And you're
2: just like you're like hi will you like me and not reject me And that's the closest you want to get, and you don't get any of that. And you're like, okay, so not only do you not like me, but you've also rejected me. And even if you say it the nicest way, you're basically saying, no, I don't want you. And, you know, that, that translation was always what I would submit. I still freelance, right? I'm always sending out a pitch and going, but, okay, I know you don't want it for the reasons that you said, and I respect all of those. And yet, at the same time, you just don't want me and yeah. I don't know how else to feel about that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess the only benefit of dating is like if it doesn't work out, you just walk away. But when you're trying to learn something, you're like, so you don't like me, but should I be taller next time? Or should yeah, I grow my hair right. Right? <laughs> Can I get some feedback <laughs> on
1: that? Yeah, can you tell me yeah. what I
3: could have done
1: differently? Not that you care, yeah. Right. Well, and that's the same thing though, even like you going around to cons, carrying your thing, carrying your portfolio. And again, like I've, I've, been, you know, I've been to cons, seeing people do that and i've seen um i mentioned this on my show before but at the chicago con years and you know years and years maybe even before the image um like i met mike Barron just standing in a hallway he's like hey man i've got this comic called badger you're like all right like that's how you know because he's from wisconsin so that's how i met you know i'm sure it means nothing to him but i will always remember meeting mike Barron, like standing in like one of the small you know he paid 50 bucks to get a table and you're just walking through because you're going from one show to the next. And you're like, I think Starenko's in that room. And you're like, hey. And he's like, hey, I've got this thing. So, um, you know, I, I stopped and talked to him. Glad I did because I fucking love the Badger. And we're, I'm going to do a show on it soon. But, um, yeah, you know, you see that. You see those people there. And did you do that then, too? Is that the next step for you as on this process? Um, I
3: mean, I think I went – the first I... – if I remember right, I think my first year was really just a collection of some sequentials that I had made up or stuff that I, maybe I graduated with. Uh, and right at the end of school, I felt like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare comics my major and really focus on that. And I had a really haphazard portfolio. I, I really didn't have something um, that represented me very well, but it was a start, you know, and I, I took it around and, and got feedback. And then I felt like, okay... And then, it's basically like in those days, I mean, it's like I had a ton of money either. I had a regular job where I was working, and then I was doing this on the side. So, so I felt like, all right, well, the next convention season, I'm going to come with something tangible. So, I, I teamed up with a friend of mine, uh, Dave Duanch. said, do you know Dave? He's an East Bay guy, too. Nah. Um.
2: Sorry, I'm totally blanking. I want to say I know that name. Guy, clue me in. I've known
3: him for years. He he used to. I mean, I met him at, like when he worked at Crush Comics when I was like a young guy. He was he was like a few years older than me, maybe just a couple actually. But huh. um, anyhow, he's a great writer and he's a good artist too. But at the time, he wanted to write, and so we said, "Hey, let's 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 work on something." And so we put together a pitch um, for a comic that we felt like, all right, we had like genuine samples, a cover, it was a real pitch. And we took that around the next year to uh, WonderCon and our local shows, and the feedback we got was really great. No- nobody picked it up. It was super ambitious for a couple guys who don't have a track record. It was like a year-long commitment. I mean, it was like we didn't know. That. We didn't. The logistics of the business part of things is something completely different, right? Like, in, I, until you have some of that experience, I just didn't know what was reasonable to ask of an editor. So we pitched this grand idea that um, most people told us, like, that's way too ambitious for a couple folks who, who don't have any experience. But um, I got a lot of kind feedback about the art when I was speaking to editors and I felt like, okay, um, awesome. So maybe, maybe I'm on the right track, but I need to pitch something that's a little more reasonable. And I, I remember talking to an editor, uh, blanking on the guy's name. Shoot, he, I think he's at IDW now. At the time he was at a smaller publisher, but I remember he, him telling me like, hey, man, uh, your art's good. But the thing I, I can't understand is like what you're into because I look at this portfolio and it's so broad. Like you have some superhero stuff here and you got like a horror thing, and some crime. And uh, I just thought that's a good feedback. So I'm going to focus on the thing that I want to do the most. And I kind of worked up an idea for a pitch that was really small in scope, but something I could handle and I went around the next year with that as my goal. And I felt like this, I feel like this is the thing I want to do it represents me. Well, it's good. I felt like it was good at the time. And, um, I ended up at, uh, at Oni's booth uh, talking to James Lucas Jones, who's now the, he's the head of, of the group over there. I forget what the title's called. But in those days he's the editor in chief. And he says, you know what? Uh, we're not looking into work right now. I mean, this, this stuff looks good, but, um, but I do like your art and we do have a project that I think you could be a fit for potentially. Why don't you drop me an email in a couple weeks and we can talk about it when like conventions season's over and we kind of get a chance to wrap. And, um, and that thing grew into um, my first opportunity, which was resurrection. This was the first uh, comic book I ever drew at Oni press. And it was kind of crazy when I look back now, because man, uh, the first thing I did was a free comic book issue. It probably had a, Massive readership for a first, like the very first thing I ever did. Like I think back on it and think, For one thing, it shows a lot of faith on their part because it's taking a chance on somebody that they they don't have an opinion about either yet. But um. But it was uh, it was awesome, and I and I, that opportunity, um, ended up being a series that ran for like 13 issues, and then it, it grew into another uh, project, and we just kind of continued to work together off and on for a long time. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, I mean in Oni Press, that's the um that's where Stumptown is. And uh um and is that that's how that led to Stumptown? Because you come in in Stumptown, you come in halfway through. So there's four volumes of Stumptown and you're on three and four. And so Matt left, but Greg stayed. And so but you guys are all listed as kind of co-creators. Yeah. What was that? How'd that work out?
3: Um well uh i'm trying to remember i had worked on a few things and only at that point point had worked on resurrection also uh coincidentally resurrection had existed before i came to it also it was mark guggenheim's uh, project and he had had another artist and i came on to restart the book at that point um and i had done that and then mark and i started working on another book called stringers that we were just kind of working on alongside and I had, I had stepped in a Wasteland for a little bit. I don't know if, if you're familiar with Wasteland. Um, I am It's long-running post-apocalyptic westerns. Awesome comic book. Um, but coming on to a series that was already developed at that point was kind of familiar territory. And um, James had reached out about it and said, hey, I, uh, I don't know if you've read Stumptown. I had. I, I love the I the comic already. I'm a big fan of Greg's. I mean, even separate to work with him, he's just an awesome writer. They said, uh, you know, we'd be interested in, in working on this. We're talking about bringing it back. And I was super pumped. And I loved the idea of doing it. And, and to Greg's credit, he's always made me feel like, look, um, with respect to what came before, if you're going to come on here, I want you to feel like a partner on this. I want you to really take it on like it's yours and, um, and collaborate, really collaborate, you know, not just kind of take direction. And I think um, because that was our sort of our relationship, and it has been my relationship with a lot of writers too. I feel like it's kind of a, one of the things I like about creator-owned comics, but um, we took it on as a, as a partnership in that way. So that's why that stuff gets credited that way also. Yeah, because yeah. you
1: invented um, – in you come in on the, um, the first mystery is the – so, it begins at the soccer match. and Yeah. Uh, CK, did you invent – like so that CK shows up for the first time in that book. Yeah. That, was that your invention? Was that?
3: Oh, my great. Yeah. She didn't exist before that. I think she's right. a great character, too. I we both like talked about how cool it would be eventually to see her on the show, too. She's such a great um, pairing to Dex, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I really I, lo- I like her because you and the thing is what you guys do so great in that book is we meet her like page page two or three. They're playing soccer um, okay. and they're on opposing teams. And there's a backstory with she, like you, and the cool thing, what I appreciate what you guys did is you just trust the audience. Like Dex has got this long, crazy life. We don't know it all. Um, she knows yeah. her already. And we don't know, like we just meet her and they just know each other. And you as the audience have to say like, welcome back to Stunk Down. Dex is playing soccer. Ansel's still there. Everything's awesome. By the way, there's this other character. Doesn't matter who it is. Dex yeah. knows her. So you know her. That yeah. was such a cool way to introduce her um was that kind of did you feel like that soccer match Which you mean like most of that book takes place at the soccer match like either they're playing one or they're at one um or that first issue back so like what was the what was the reasoning there like say like hey we're not going to dump Dex right in the middle of the case we're going to actually like have like kind of a day in the life of Dex and Ansel so like as you're coming back to a series in that way was that intentional and how did you and Greg have that conversation
3: um I mean, I don't remember Greg and I having that specific conversation, but um, I do think that that series needed to be not tied to the other ones directly, right? Like you needed to feel like it was fresh and still referential to the original material because, I mean, it's all her story. It's just that um, you want to make it so anybody can pick it up and follow along without any trouble. And I think that was probably the driving driving thing behind it. But um, I, I do remember feeling like, man, you know, of all Greg's projects, on some level I always feel, and I might be wrong about this. Some might would have to ask him, but, um, I always felt like sometimes it was kind of personal to him because I felt like, I don't know, something in Dex, and it's in Portland, just their personalities wise. I, I, I felt like that story was close to him. I really wanted to be true to what he, what he had wanted out of it initially. And, um, doing the, starting off with the soccer case was particularly that way. Cause I, in talking to him at the beginning, it was clear. He's a massive Timbers fan. And, um, I really wanted to get that right, and so like that's a that's a culture that is very specific, and involved. And he he sent me a lot of video, uh, he sent me videos and a lot of uh, photos, and just remember pouring over all of it and just being like, okay, I really want to be true to the spirit of this. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not, not a soccer fan. I just was indifferent to it. But in catching the passion of that, and like that that energy, that that was the thing I think I was most focused on. Was just trying to pull that off. And for him, being a fan of it, making it true to that spirit so that he doesn't look at it and feel like, oh, that's not exactly what it would feel like. I want him to be if – he, if he is will, willing to pass that, I'm sure anybody would who, who's a fan of that sport too, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. And that – I mean, I watch – I know, Seth, you watch footy. Have you ever watched a Timbers game? It's bananas.
2: It's not only bananas, but this is where I admit that I spent 19 years of my life chasing a potential soccer career. It's one of the reasons I didn't commit as much to writing because I was physically exhausted all the time. Yeah. Three knee surgeries later and a lot of suffering. And I was like, okay, so this is no longer my path. And then, you know, discovered uh, the the sort of seedier life of athletes who get injured and sort of got to find their way. And then gradually it was like, okay, let, let's try this writing thing. And that's, that's been its own journey, but man.
3: That's a hard I mean, resolution to make, though. If your heart really is set on it and then not being able to uh, do it, that's, um, that's difficult. You know, It's a challenge. It, it really was. It was also one of
2: those things where I, I had to accept that there were some aspects I couldn't control, which was a really yeah. important thing for me, too. I mean, yeah. your, your body only does so much, and yeah. when it actually literally breaks, you then have to sort of decide, okay, well, what is this goal I'm looking at? And how feasible is it? what else can I you know, manage or survive if I'm trying to do this anymore? And the clock, had, there was a really great window. And, and during that moment, I was like, I didn't get to where I needed to be in order for this to take off. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenging thing, but it also became one of those formative moments where I understood yes. so much more about storytelling, which was this idea of like, who are you when you're not what you think yep. you are? or yep. you're going to become. And I've been really thankful to come across so many great characters where uh, an artist and a writer can say, this is one of the potentials that are available. This is what happens. And this is how different people respond to that. Yeah. And um, I think understanding that crux can be really valuable for any aspect of storytelling. It's-,
3: it's I think you're right. Yeah. Well,
0: for um, life in
3: general. I mean, like it's a life lesson. <laughs> I mean, it's one that yeah. some people never learn. And and I think um, learning that and and, really genuinely understanding it, your life will be better. But it's a, it is a not an easy lesson, especially the first time, you know?
2: Yeah, it really isn't. I didn't handle it all that well. I did a lot of drinking. I did a, <laughs> a lot of just stupid right. stuff. And along the way, I also was trying to do, and it, I was really intrigued when you mentioned how you tried to be responsible, graphic uh-huh. designer. Like I, I realized as I transferred to my local college and was trying out and my knee was aching and I was like, I'm gonna have my third knee surgery. I'm gonna get cut from this team. What am I gonna do? And I thought, well, you moved here to also go to college. How do you pursue that? And there was this process of trying to figure out like, okay, I write, but what does that mean? And what am I gonna do with it? I've, I've been a reporter, a sports reporter. I've done a couple of different careers and each one it was like, why am I wearing somebody else's clothing? Yeah, And why does it not fit? And each yeah. one didn't actually fit with who I was or what I was trying to be. But as you mentioned, that was one of those life lessons going yeah. with it. It's like, okay, who are you now? And, and what are you trying to become? Because
3: that stage of your life is over. Yeah. This is your next stage. <laughs> that forces you to be objective. And honestly, not everybody. Like some people cannot make that. I mean, that will haunt them forever. Like it depends on your personality, right? But like learning that and learning to adjust and be a, be objective about what a situation is that can't be changed. That's a healthy, that's a healthy um, thing to learn. You know, I think for everyone,
2: (laughs) I, I appreciate that, man. I, I, guys, both the, I, it it was a challenge and it was also something where I was, you can feel yourself trying to do something and watching the people around you make other decisions. I mean, of all my friends, I, I was the only one who didn't have kids or decide to get married or do other things that, makes your responsibilities and priorities very different yeah and also sort of like okay you guys are all somewhere else I'm all on my own here this is all up to me I'm either gonna sink or fail and it's it it was quite a discovery as well Um, yeah but I can't wait to follow up more on the ideas about what it was like with you trying to get the uh the passion of soccer because man I've I've played with those guys they 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 play hard they drink hard they fight hard (laughs) (laughs)
1: and that's because soccer is such an important part of the of the book and you and you bring that over in the show really well too and I think I think that's all because everything you just said said as I'm listening I'm like man it's like there's this late like that is Dex's journey like in Stumptown too everything that you just said and and, and, you know like she's she's got this sudden change like she's got to come and take care of her brother and and this Ansel, whom I love in the comic, and the actor who plays him on the show is spectacular. <laughs> oh, and uh, but But what I love about Ansel is that he's not going to, like, you know, he's got Down syndrome, so he's not going to play professionally, but he would give his whole life. Yeah. And so there is that, there's that real passion of, of, of like, longing and needing things, and, like, Dex's sacrifice for her brother, and yeah. um, he, like, lives vicarious. He plays, but then he watches her. So I'm with Seth. Like, how do you like that passion that you bring of of being a sports fan being in such an odd sports town and i portland people i know that yeah. I take that as a compliment because it's like people think about portland and that show portlandia and everything and how it's like such a weird place but like they their men's and women's foot, footy teams are sold out it's like when people think about the green bay pack like portland is the green bay of of right. mls and right. national, right. national right. soccer yeah so yeah, that's how Yeah. So how do you capture that? And then knowing that that has to kind of run in the background of a story that's a detective story. Yeah. and You know, so, so what is it about that? So so that was just Greg's passion
3: for it. And then you had to learn. So, so now when you're all done, you're like, I kind of like it too. Yeah. I mean, like it's hard to not appreciate it at that point because you spend some time with it and you're like, man, this is the folks who are about it are so about it. And like, you see the clips of those games and the guy cutting the logs, like the whole, the whole experience is so involved and awesome that like, man, it's, it's inspiring. Uh, it's totally cool. And I think um, part of the person part of the way that story is written, uh, to Gray's credit, touches on that. You know, it's a story about somebody getting, you know, the guy gets beat up right at the beginning. It's a friend. And they're really trying with respect to that sport, not let it grow out of control because, right. you know, soccer does have a problem Football with football. That's uh, a huge
1: commentary on hooliganism. Yeah, yeah, that whole book is about that. And I respected that you guys handled that so well like you address it you're like this is bullshit but then you're also acknowledging that there's a, there's this line between passion and insanity and yeah I think you got it's so well done
3: yeah yeah it, it was I, I remember reading the script thinking like this is awesome and plus like you know that stadium and that energy that that part kind of draws itself in the sense that there's getting that across is is half the fun like when you put something in a setting that's that exciting. Hopefully, it's going to come across in the art too. Like I remember, we talked a lot about like the chants as part of the that storyline. So I think in the first, it might be in that first issue um, where they're chanting at the at the stadium and like you know trying to like draw that in and you use it as an element that is visual, but also trying to feed that energy of the experience. No, um, oh, it was fun. It was really fun, and, and and I remember feeling really nervous about it too because it was. I did feel like it was personal. Like any any. It's a little different when you're just drawing somebody, just drawing whatever you feel like. But drawing something that you know somebody really cares about, I remember the first time turning in those comps and just thinking, like, man, I hope he likes this. if he doesn't like it, it's not the end of the world, but it would be easier if this is a natural fit. Like, instinctually, we just sort of have the same sense of stuff. Yeah, he's,
1: like, calling Matt back up. He's, like, hey, man. <laughs> he's, like, you're out,
3: bro. He did one look at those comps and said, you know what? Get to Get on out. No, no, he was, he was actually and, – and honestly, like – um he has such a direct personality that I think um, it doesn't always come across as quickly, but like, man, he is such a warm personality. Like if you talk to him, you talk to him one-on-one, if you see him speak somewhere, he he's making a point. He's, he's focused and um, it's such a different experience really talking to him about something. And the, he's just such a warm collaborator um, that it just made it, made it feel very easy. I mean, he's always really supportive. And um, and luckily we did get along well. Like it, it was, we had a great time working on it and we're continuing to work on it. So that's been really good.
1: Yeah. And what is that like? So, because on the show, all three of you are listed. So what's Matt's involvement still? Um, how's in that in terms out? of the show? I mean, all yeah. of
3: our, all of our involvement is pretty similar. Greg's a little more involved in, because he's talking to them more regularly than we are. I mean, all, all of our involvement is m- relatively limited. I mean, we're not really writing on the show so much. Um, we, we have a very open invitation to offer feedback and, and we chat with them and, and catch up with them. But um, it's not like we're in that writing room, giving them direction or anything. And I, and I kind of feel like it's a bit like comics, you know, when, when I took on that project and great, Greg says, okay, make this yours. And it's just me and him. And we're working on that thing. We're not really taking direction from somebody. We feel like we've been, we, we know we can agree on what it's supposed to be. So now let's run with it. And um, I think with that show, once we saw the pilot, felt like, Oh, okay. They definitely get it. Like this is, this is, True, to, so true to our character that it feels like, well, it's kind of a blessing. I mean, honestly, uh like the show ended up being g- so good that we just felt like, man, this is really lucky. Like, Toby's an awesome Dex. The cat, like the whole cast, is just killer, right? So we caught such a lucky break, and they had the the tones so right on that we just felt like, man, I'm not gonna be giving them direction all the time. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to know why I would, honestly. Like, like, so do we, we
1: are we gonna see one episode? You are gonna be sitting at the bar at the bad alibi,
3: like, hey. <laughs> yeah i did visit set one time i was just curious like i i've never been on a tv set i'm curious to see what that looks like and and catch up with everybody it's super interesting and it's such a different experience you know uh, that show is essentially doing the same job as we are in the sense that we're just telling stories about that character right and her and her and all her extended cast and like what's going on in their lives but it is such a different experience in terms of making it and uh and the scope of it is just massive in terms of television you know in making Stumptown, it's like, Greg sends me a script, and then I send him back a bunch of thoughts about it, and I break it all down visually how I think it could work, and we might like, go back and forth on some specifics, and then I I, I take it on, and I start drawing in, and then it goes to the colorist, and letter, and, you know, it's a very small group. There's four or five of us. You know, James is, is reading what he's going, giving his feedback, but it's not a big group of people, um, and then you go on a set where there's, an, you know, a show that employs like 150 people. They're not all there at once, but a lot of them are, and... You're just like this is so insane that this is what this, st- this we're doing the same thing. It's just this is such an involved process, and while I admire it, it, it doesn't make me think I want to do television as a job. But I, I love that it exists, and it's I find it uh, incredible that it even ever comes out. Like it's just wild. It's such a it's such a massive endeavor.
1: It is. And do you are you gonna then? Because you said you're still working on it. So does that mean volume five is? in
3: the works yeah yeah uh I mean it's not formally announced but that's that's on our schedule yeah in fact it's something Greg and I have been talking about a lot and I'm finishing another series right now and my goal in a perfect world will be to start on Stumptown next so we'll see how things go uh it depends on schedules but I think um that's that's the plan as of right now yeah
1: yeah and then one last thing about well two two more questions about Stumptown sorry and then we'll so um well, what, so what was the impetus for? Because there was a break between you coming on. So what was the impetus for Matt for, for the switch? Was he just like I got other shit going on? Yeah, and that means exactly. that we can't talk about that. You'll have to.
3: Kill it's it. not like it's private. It's not <laughs> like it's oh. private in the sense that um, it's a secret, but it's also not not really my thing. I, I came on, and Matt had already been gone at that point, and I don't. I oh, okay. don't Know what made him want to do something else, or I, That's I couldn't really say. I, yeah, I couldn't speak to that part of it. But when I came on, I, it was agreed upon that they were both happy to see the book continue. And, that's awesome. Um, like Matt and I get along great. Like I've never, it's never been weird at all. But I, but I, I, I couldn't speak to that directly. You got that's a question for that.
1: Yeah, no, that's totally fair because it's kind of like one of those things where you see, um uh, like when Kelly Sue and Valentine did those um, for for Bitch Planet, they did that little like those little vignettes. you yeah. know, where It was like other things, so they had to like turn over their world. Now they weren't their characters, but they had to turn their world over to other people. Now, granted, one of those writers was her husband, so she, you know, but like valentine has to be like i need you can draw someone else in this world that had to be super weird and that's kind of what i'm getting at like because you guys come at it from a different style so that's cool to know that there's no like you guys are fine it's like i'm picking up your things not like batman you know everybody's got right. the, like if exactly. you're a batman artist it's like okay we get jim draws it this way and you know you know everybody chris chris drawing it this way everybody's drawing it differently but like these are characters that are only exist at Oni Press, that they're only, you know, it's this small. Yeah,
3: that, it's really insulated, right? And and again, personal, like, it's a, a creator-owned books. It's not like, it, you make a good point. It's it's all I've ever done in my career, really. I've done a small amount of work for hire, but mostly it's creator-owned projects. It's, it's partnering with a writer at start first and saying, we have let's put this. In some cases, I'm coming on to an idea that are, is already there and investing in it and making my own, or um, I'm coming on to, break an idea down and we, and we kick it back and forth and reshape it. And then it's like it is personal. Yeah. Yeah. Like refuse you you were there from the jump. That's your book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, and and really at this point, all all my projects, I have a bunch of stuff I'm working on and all of it is that way. Like it's basically just, it starts with a bunch of conversations with a writer as we go like, what would be cool? And we're kind of mulling it over until we find something we're like, we both like are really excited about and say, yeah, I think this should be the thing, you know? And then from that point, it is, it's so personal and it's, it's, it is different. Um, and it's a hard thing to articulate, but it, I, when I come on to somebody else's project, a project that already existed and I say, okay, here I am. It is important to me to make sure it's true to the spirit of it. I'm not going to draw like Matt, like we're just different people. And, and yeah, that's okay. Too. But, um, I mean, look at Lazarus is perfect example. I, I did one of those issues in, in the year between their regular storyline.
1: Yeah. You did like issue three or whatever.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lazarus 66, X 66 and, and, you know that world is really clearly developed. Like it's not, um, it's not the real world, right? It's it's its own entity. And obviously, Michael, I draw totally different than him, also. But um, my goal is to make it feel like it exists in that world. It doesn't feel out of step. It might be different, but um, I, w- I don't want somebody who's familiar with those characters to say, "Oh, this is not what I expected." Of this. Yeah, uh, I don't so that way. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I was just curious. And again, i I'm glad they, I appreciate you answered. The one last yeah, thing but... about Sumtown is. Um, on the show, and this is—I thought this was super smart—and um, but I was curious what you thought that they Hoffman is a woman in the book, and yes. she is a man on the show, and then Hoffman's boss is a is a man in the book and a woman on the show, Cameron Mannheim. And of course, yep. you get Cameron, and you're like, "Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, come. for sure." So, she's, awesome.
1: <laughs> uh, she's amazing in that show. She's so great. Yeah. She's hardly in it, but when she's on it, she just commands everything. So what was like when they pitched that to you? Were you were you guys like, well, you know, we this because Hoffman's when you guys do Volume Five, Hoffman's still going to be a woman, obviously in the comics. So what was your thought process on that and um, you know, on, on that big of a of a swing? Because you know, I mean, everybody's character like Ansel and Dax are Ansel and Dax. Their char- their characters don't change, right. But the rest of the supporting cast, yeah. they're just a little, a little different here and there. Yeah. But that's the I biggest mean, I, swing.
3: I. I didn't, I mean, I found they, I mean, it wasn't like somebody asked me, what do you think about this? I I remember reading the script and that's what they had done and thinking like, Oh, that's interesting. But, and I just felt like, look, I mean, I'm of the opinion that the comic book is a comic book. If if adapting for television benefits from making changes, as long as those changes are true to the story and spirit of of what we were doing. I'm, I don't, have, I don't have a strong opinion about that. I think it's fine, but there was an actual practical reason for that. And I didn't find out until later. I think, um, I was on a panel with Greg at Rose City last year and it came up and I didn't realize it, but that character exists in some of his other books. And so I think in order to use the character as it was, in order to use that same character would involve having to get the other books involved and there's a rights issue. So I think that was a choice made for practical reasons, but it turned out to be great ones. And and I think... um, He's we got real so lucky good. in terms of what happened. Yeah, yeah.
1: He's amazing. And, and the chemistry that he that the two of them have, I mean, every like I said, it's a banger. Everybody's good. There's not a bad performance on the show. Even the I camp- can't believe it. I
3: can't believe how lucky. It's, it's such a lucky. I, I, I Sometimes I just can't get over that cast. Like, it's just perfect. Um, I, like, if it's somebody who had a dream cast that I couldn't come up with a better group of people to be working on, I feel super, super lucky in that regard.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for season two, man. I know that COVID is an asshole, so it's going to delay. It'll be
3: delayed, but it is. They are working on. I know they're writing, and I, I, things are happening. So I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, it'll be. They can find a solution soon. But again, you're right. Like there's just no way to know for sure at this point. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, man, look, I'm just going to point
2: out something too, really quick, Tony, before you step away, is the fact that people can't see us on the video right now. But when he said there will be a Stumptown (laughs) five, the arms over the head. (laughs) Right there, oh, yeah. I was like, "That guy needs to be at a soccer game. He's going to yeah. be just fine." You know what? It, the only thing that was missing from you was the forty-five second, goal, you know, and then yeah. you know, ah, it just yeah. like that, you were you were it impressive, the, my friend. It was.
1: Listen, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I just I, I I think the comic is so smart, and what I like about what you do, and this will come up, I'm sure, in part of what Seth, you know, when Seth sets questions about your craft and everything, it, what the stuff that I like that you do, like Stumptown. Um, and, you know, Fuse in particular, those are, like, crime books. Um, they're, one's a little, one science fiction, one's regular fiction, but, they're, but but like, these these mysteries, and there's, like, these stuff, like, the thing about Stumptown that I love is that, like, Dex's parents, the mystery of Dex's parents, it's just out there, and yeah. it comes and goes, and it's, like, it is what it is. We'll deal with it. Maybe we'll ever find out, and so it's, like, you've always got, like, layers upon layers, and Fuse is the same way. There's layers upon layers, so I just, I just really appreciate that the way that you're not, you're not writing stuff um, to, to for, for people to be like, I don't get you. Like if somebody doesn't get it, you're not going to be mad. because you they're like, yeah, it's okay. Cause I'm yeah. telling a really thoughtful, complicated story. And I think that's why Stumptown works as a comic because like you said, when you come on those volumes three and four, you, if you hadn't read one and two, it's okay. You're, you're remeeting right. them. And, but, but you know, if you did read one and two, it just adds to this already cool story. It's almost like a, this is, I'm a big book nerd. So it feels like Nero Wolf. Do you ever read the Nero Wolf books?
3: No, no, let's check so, it
1: out. So Nero Wolfe um, were the series that um, Rex Stout wrote. And he, and they, um, that Nero Wolf was, a, was an agoraphobic and he was like an obese detective. So he, he couldn't go outside. So his leg man, Archie, um, had a had, uh, uh, photographic memory. So he'd go out in the world and see things. He'd come back and he'd tell things to Nero and Nero nice. would solve the crimes. So yep. the thing was, is time that, like time changed. Like when the books were in the 40s, they were in the 40s, but they never aged. So like every new decade, they just re and it didn't matter. So you could pick up a Nero Wolf book that takes place in the 60s and they're from that time. And if you pick a book that takes place in the 40s, they're from that time. So what I like about Town being a detective story, it's the same thing, sorry, long-winded, is that that's what you do. It's like, if you pick up volume four and you don't see, you're a good. You've got a complete story. There's growth in the characters. There's an arc there, like when, you, like you said, when you drop CKN, like right. she, she just already lives in this. She lives there. She's, you know, so it's just such a cool way to tell a story. And so I'm assuming when you do volume five, if you just know
3: yeah. volume five, you'll be okay. I think that's a credit to Greg's writing too. I mean, he's so conscious of that. Like, um, you know, Dex's sister showing up may not be that big of a deal. Like, you, everything's there to understand. It's not like you're not going to understand it if you just buy the, buy the. I guess that's the fourth, volume. But, fourth one, but, um, but man, for a regular reader of that book, meeting her sister is a big deal. And, um, we always talked about like what her parents would be like. We had plans to bring her back into it, but, um, this fifth volume has been planned for a while. Like we, I mean, there's other stories you want to tell. And we felt like we were heading in a, a direction. We had a rhythm going where we felt like we were building towards, you know, volume four was a little bit lighter. Um, it's kind of even a little, like, I thought it was pretty funny, honestly, with the coffee. Yeah. Stuff. That's, the co- and,
1: that's the coffee, the coffee that comes out of cat's asses.
3: Yes. Catch yeah. You you yeah. yeah Cash your coffee. And then, you know, we had that standalone issue that was si- like mostly silent and I just, it was like a break. And then the plan was to head into something that was pretty dark after that. And we, and Greg had some ideas for a storyline that are still the same ones he wants to work on now. And, um, hopefully we'll be starting on it soon. I mean, it seems likely at this point. That's awesome. Well, thanks,
1: everybody. I hope that you had a great time. Uh, This is the end of the first half of the interview, and so I'm going to throw a little note in here before you hear Seth and I explain where you can find us online, which will be the same ending on both shows. So right now, you've listened to the first half of the interview with Justin. It was amazing. He was such a great guy. What a great time. Stumptown, great book. Unfortunately, we just learned um, as I'm recording this, which was after we did our interview, uh, Stumptown was renewed, and as of today, it got canceled again by ABC because of COVID, because COVID's a dick. But fingers crossed, maybe Hulu or FX are going to pick it up for season two. We can only hope. Let's hope, let's hope, let's hope. Uh, Let's root for that. So in the meantime, what I need you to do is go to the show notes, and you'll find a link to Seth's show, Storytelling with Seth. Seth, so you can go there. Easy for me to say. Storytelling with Seth. Boy, see, that's why he's a better podcaster than me because he made such a cool alliterative title and never screws it up. So I'm going to leave that in. Storytelling with Seth. There will be a link in the show notes. You need to go there. You need to listen to that. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening this far. You'll hear us ramble on and give everybody where you can hear us online. And then we'll be taken out with Blondie's Heart of Glass, which, if you've seen the show Stumptown, will make perfect sense. And if you haven't seen Stumptown or read Stumptown, seriously, What is wrong with you? Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next time. Um, Everybody can follow me on Twitter. I'm at TricycleBoombox. And you can go to my website, which is just arfarina.com. And if you're not on Twitter, you can send me a message there. It is not nearly as cool as Justin's website, but you can reach me there. (laughs)
2: <laughs> As for me, you can find me for those, you know, quick tidbit conversations on things like Twitter, One More Singleton. You can find my website, Seth Singleton Storyteller. You can follow the podcast, Storytelling with Seth. But really type in Seth Singleton Story or Storytelling and find me whichever way you feel the most comfortable. I, I would love to hear from you. Love talking about great content like this.
1: Yeah, me too. All right, well, we will see everybody next time. Thanks, Seth.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tony.